0: The Articulate Coven is the original, unofficial podcast and fan community for Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire and Anne Rice's Immortal Universe from AMC and AMC+. So uh, thank you, everybody, for coming to another Dorian Discussion Club, the Mayfair Witches premiere party, Uh, the Mayfair Witches, uh, the adaptation of The Anne Rice series, The Lives of the Mayfair Witches, the three books, The Witching Hour, uh, Lasher, and Taltos. Um, It's all part of AMC's Immortal Universe, connected to the Interview with the Vampire series that started earlier this fall. Ashley and I have been covering these books for years already. We've been talking about the Interview with the Vampire series as part of our podcast, Articulate Coven. And now we're excited to cover the Mayfair Witches as well. Um, And, of course, Dorian has some really cool storytelling elements to springboard off of what you're seeing and what you're imagining coming from the Mayfair Witches series. And that's one of the things that we're going to talk about today. Um, Ashley, go ahead and skip to the next uh, tab there for me. (laughs) Uh, As a matter of fact, go ahead and skip this one, too. We're excited to have everybody join us. And I'm very thankful for you all to um, uh, stay put with us while we worked out the... um, the kinks here. We're going to be discussing the topic of gender, yeah,
1: specifically sorry,
0: witchcraft I'm... via the Mayfair Witches and the Arcana. That's the other property that we're going to be um, tying this all into. But the, the Mayfair Witches series in particular, we, we sort of bemoaned this with Interview with the Vampire, Ashley. Um, there, there aren't a lot of great female leads across right. all of uh, the vampire chronicles and specifically in an interview with the vampire, there's a real dearth. You basically got two female characters that matter and one of them has little agency. The other one has almost no agency or character development at all. Mayfair witches, it's the exact opposite problem. You've really only got a couple of male characters that matter and you've got so just a, a bounty of really strong, interesting, complex, uh, women characters and that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about is the the great uh, exploration of gender and as well as um non-binary characters and the lgbtq members of the mayfair family specifically and how that all plays out through these storylines and uh yeah i'm excited to get into this tonight
2: i am as well i'm really really pumped i really um i was super excited to watch the first episode of the show. It's freaking great. If you haven't watched it yet, it's fantastic. Um, and it's fun to get a little witchy. It's been a while since I've gotten a little witchy, you know, but I'm, I'm really excited.
0: Uh, let's go to the next tab. I think it's time to introduce everybody, Ashley. Uh, let's meet our yes. panelists tonight. Go ahead. One more. Uh, first up, Ashley. Well, that's me. Tell
1: I'm Ashley.
2: I am Ashley Wright Eiler, um, I'm a co-host of the Articulate Coven with Joel, and um, co-host of the upcoming uh, Unsolved Arkansas, and um, I'm a comedian, I do improv comedy, Um, I do a little bit of acting still occasionally, but my 9 to 5 is in IT, which lets me... Let's me grind out all my fun stuff on the side, so I'm really excited that I get to do all that. And I'm super pumped to be here. I've been um, a huge fan of Anne Rice's since I was a kid, and I've um, been into witchy stuff since, you know, I was a little girl putting a bunch of gross things in a pot in the backyard and calling it brew. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited for us to, to chat about this and, and uh, um, to reconnect with some of the Dorian crew. We're happy to be here.
0: And All right. next, I'm Joel. We got Joel. I'm Ashley's co host uh, of Articulate Coven. I'm a podcast producer, a dad, uh, a husband, a uh, 40 year old nerd who's really, really, <laughs> really into Anne Rice, particularly Lestat and uh, Sam Reed. Very much I'm into Sam Reed. I'm, I'm, I'm blinking my eyelashes. I don't know if anybody can see. Anyway, that's me. Uh, who's our next panelist, Ashley?
3: Next up, oh God, Liz. I love love my outfit. Hello everyone. My name is Liz. I, um, I am the, um, the resident Dorianite. I am head of strategic partnerships at Dorian, which means I got to work uh, very deep in these AMC adaptations uh, that we brought over to Dorian. So um, I got to watch some episode screeners, which made me feel very uh, in the know. I also um, I'm very interested in Sam Reed. Um, I, I currently live in Pittsburgh, where I Google Sam Reed photos all day on breaks from. From, from doing this, great. Thing. Um, so, so yeah, that's me. I'm really excited for for this chat and to kick off this new series. It's been we've been in the vampire zone for so long, and as a '90s witch coming up with the craft and all of that, um, this feels like a nice um, sort of vibe shift. So, yeah, that's me. Hello, everyone. You know, the thing for
0: me, Liz, is like Interview with the Vampire made this real. This adaptation real. This adaptation being on the air makes this universe real. Oh, wait, AMC is really going to go, there's going to be spin-offs, There's going to be extensions. There's going to be sequels, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like this, this makes that part of it real. Who's our next panelist, Ashley?
2: Oh, let's see here. As rebounding with the best of the avatars I've seen yet.
1: I know, right? Oh! Oh, we can't hear you. Oh, are you muted?
0: So, Azra, you may have to go down at the bottom, and you can hear. I your think I'm microphone good now. Icon. There you go. Perfect. You hear
4: me? Yeah, yeah, great. Awesome. Watch. All right. Um, so I'm. I go by Azra Bounding Online. You can call me Az or Azzy. And uh, I am a digital creator, I am a non-binary creator, uh, and I come from the Arcana community. I've been in the community for going on three years, (laughs) I've been very active for all the three years I've been around. Um, And I also have uh, quite the experience in witchy spaces, uh, especially in um, the Jewish um, mysticism uh, the mystical Ju- Judaism uh, aspect of of witchy spaces, if we want to call it them than that. And uh, I'm here to s- <laughs> I'm here to share some of my experience with that and uh, and some of uh, my takes on uh, on uh, witchcraft and gender. I, also, so I, saw, I, I saw I saw the first episode of the show today, and I actually really loved it. It gave me early American horror story vibes when it was still good. Totally. That's
0: exactly 100%, what Joel 100%. said
2: in our episode
4: yesterday. hundred percent. That's what yeah. he
0: said. The, the really interesting thing to me is that the the original version of the interview with the vampire adaptation was going to be at Hulu. And when it was at Hulu, I think there was going to be a lot of crossover with the production team behind yeah. American Horror Story. They've got such an over-hard or had at the time with Hulu. And and so we've sort of like glimpsed that universe in a way through the production that we're seeing here with with the Mayfair Witches adaptation. It's really exciting. So now that we've uh, gotten to know each other a little bit, let's jump into discussion. Ashley, skip to the next tab for us here. So our first question of the night... Oh, and look at the the design there for Rowan's character. I love this. Has everybody watched the first episode of the Mayfair Witches? What was everybody's first impression so far? So Ashley and I had an in-depth discussion about this last night um, on our own podcast. But overall, I was intrigued by the alterations that they've made, the slight compression of events to to make this thing a little bit more bite-sizable, and to be able to get to some of the more interesting current day storylines that happen. In the novel, there's a whole lot of like info dump of the family history that in the show I think we're gonna see play out um, maybe over the course of a few seasons in, you know, different flashback arcs, or maybe we even spend time for a, a whole episode or a few episodes in the past with some of these specific characters. But um, anyway, that was the most intriguing aspect to me is the compression of this thing. And then other than that, I'll say it seems to me like this show is aiming a little bit more towards normal TV than interview with the vampire interview with the vampire is by the very nature of the material, incredibly lyrical and, and poetic and sort of like heightened language and also it's a time period piece whereas this has time period elements for the character's history but the main characters that we're following rowan and now cyprian grieve and lasher even all of those are in our modern day setting so i i do think there's a possibility for a lot of the walking dead audience the american horror story audience um, you know, some of these folks that have never read these novels and, and probably will never jump into a 50-hour audiobook that *The Witching Hour* is—they'll take a swing <laughs> at this because it's it's a little more welcoming, right? Um, Ashley, what do you think?
2: Um, well, I I'm really excited. I was um, I was a little nervous about this one. I don't know. I, I, we talked about it. I just didn't really know as much about. Uh, about the production build and things like that with it. It doesn't seem like the, the showrunners are as connected to the source material as the showrunners for Interview. So that was kind of another thing you're kind of taking into account. I was a little nervous about some of the combinations of characters they were doing, specifically Aaron and Michael, but I do think... Um, I'm really excited with the way that they've adapted it. It's just like we talked about the, you know, the beauty of adaptation is that someone else can get their hands on it and and figure out what they think is the most important parts of the story and and tell it and from that kind of point of view, from that vantage point. And I think that that's really exciting. I'm, I love the history parts of it. I'm I'm really glad that they've kept some of that in, um, because I do think that's one of those things when you go back, you know. Over the course of history and and witches throughout, you know, American history, specifically bur- burning women at the stake and things like that. You know, it's an interesting it's interesting to include that that history into the story as well, which it looks like based off of the um, the preview I saw today. It looks like we're probably going to get some of that
0: as I want to get to you right here, first of all, because you're kind of new to the series. But second of all. I was so excited reading some of your bio and your backstory and the emails when we were setting this all up because I I come from sort of a fundamentalist uh, Christian evangelical background Mm -hmm. where any sort of spiritualism that wasn't directly connected to like this particular interpretation of, of Jesus and Christianity was not just foreboding, but inherently evil, not just not good for you, but not good for anybody and shame on you for thinking about it, right? And I was sort of mind blown when I got into later high school years, really into college, when I began to understand that lots of world religions, and in fact, lots of parts of Christianity are very open to mysticism, direct connection to spirits and paranormal powers in a way that my upbringing just didn't have room for. So with that understanding and that background for you, which I wanna delve deeper into as we go on here, what did you think about this adaptation of the show? And in particular, are you at all concerned about pop culture representations of, of witchcraft and and um, witches in, in particular, that will then have a negative connotation or negative blowback on you and your community?
4: So here's my take on, like, I, I watched the first episode today and I was very, like, actually I was very impressed. I really, I really liked it. I was one of the, as I said earlier, it reminded me of, like, early days, uh, American horror story, like, murder House even. And, um, and I was very excited because that what got me, like, I, I was young <laughs> when that came out <laughs> and that brought me sort of back there. And, um, but the interesting thing that was like very that is has always been very foreign to me about the way that um, let's say like Christian-inspired uh, media portrays witchcraft is the the connotation of like good and evil and and dark magic and white magic because when you come from from Judaism when you come from at least a reading of Judaism that doesn't come from um, like a, a later Christian influence. There, there is no such thing really when it comes uh, to powers, uh, because everything in the world is of God. Everything in the world is like taking DNA from a strand of hair. The DNA that you take from a strand of hair is not going to be any different from the DNA that you take off of your arm or off of, of any other part of your body. Um, so that has always been like in a way fascinating to me because it's a very different concept of, of powers than I am than what i'm used to um and and because it's so foreign i guess that i can have sort of an unbothered approach to it when i when i engage with with it in media i don't get concerned over it because i feel that it's so distant from and distinct from what i i do and i guess like with everything it has to do with the way you communicate what you do to people and how how Tactful and good, you are at, at at making people understand what it is that you do. I, I always try when I talk. Like I don't think that that. So for example, when it, when it comes to this show, I think that they did a very good job at making it look so supernatural and 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 having like adding elements of like of horror films, elements of of like that are typically like fictional. Um, and I think that it enough, even despite the modern setting. I think that it enough to separate it from what could be real life, which is that's what I think.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. That's absolutely fair. And and I mean, in the end, it's like, I mean, it's like a a, a Christian getting offended when they watch uh, what's the Monty Python movie, The Life of Brian. You know, that's yes, not, it, it's, it's 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 not. not uh, <laughs> They're not poking fun at your religion. Nobody believes in Brian, right? Yeah, exactly. it's
4: wi- it's written, it's packaged, it's edited in a way that like sets it apart from yes. uh, from from what actually happens in real life, and and it, it's like it's like um, looking at Harry Potter and 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 getting and getting angry because it spreads misinformation, and you're like, well, it's it is what it is, like
0: it is what it is, exactly. It's yeah, sure. yeah, and it's not. <laughs> Yeah, if
4: it's that's, a that's causing
0: you, if that's causing uh, you know hate from you, you were already angry at me. You just didn't know about here. Yeah. You had yes, exactly.
4: precisely. Yeah.
0: Like, what are Liz. you really
4: upset about?
0: Yes. Oh, that's. Right. What are you really angry about? But that if we could all ask everybody that question, I think we'd have a lot less anger. Twitter would be a, a pleasant place to be. Um, Liz. <laughs> What did you think of the show so far? This premiere. Now, listen, you got to be careful and not give us any spoilers because the rest and of that, us have not been so yeah, lucky had t- as to had see the. Uh... Be
3: good. I, I rewatched last night and the live viewing and, and took a bunch of notes, so I feel very like um, locked in and, and sort of I want to you know I think it's nice I can I was able to watch it back obviously with the themes of this conversation in mind and just you know not you know taking diligent notes which is all <laughs> the the first time around. Um, But I think, yeah, what struck me most of all was just how materially different it was from the way the story was told with the interview with the vampire. Obviously in the title right there, you have a single narrator kind of laying a story out for you in a very classic structure. Yes, we do skip around in time, but the chronology is, um, is straightforward and, and beginning to end. Um, whereas you have this much more kind of, like dreamy cinematic quality um, to, to Mayfair and the premiere with all of these sort of saturated colors and the use of kind of, you know, what Ozra was mentioning These kind of like dreamy, sort of surrealistic, almost like filters. Like, is this um is this a flashback? Is this a memory? Is this really happening? And I think they ask something kind of different of the viewer. Like from the very beginning, like the first image is this outsider, this male entering this, you know, this place of women that is not inviting to him. No one's, you know, lending him a hand to kind of guide him inside. He is an outsider in this space. Um, and what does he do? He immediately underestimates uh, everyone in there and, um, and thinks he's smarter than everyone. And so, and, and you know, and there is this kind of like, you know, these, we, we know they're witches, but no one's really said it in this first episode. Um, we, we, there are all these family secrets that we're not privy to yet. And it kind of makes us ask different questions about the characters in a different way. You know, particularly because we are aligned with Rowan who is also kind of in the dark in the beginning as well. So. Um, I just found it was a very interesting yeah. way into the story that, that framed it in a much more different way for the viewer. Um, and we really are, like, stepping into a new world, and, and I want to know what the secrets are, which is interesting, because, you know, it's, it's modern day, and I, have, I feel like I'm in a completely different planet. Actually, <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, so cool uh, let's to get to part. the
3: next tab.
2: I was just say it's really cool that we get to go on that journey with rowan like she's wow. in the same place we are as the viewer especially if you haven't read the books you don't know what's going on at all you know so I, it's fun to it's fun to be going on that journey together
1: you,
4: it, yeah you actually about about that right. about ahead, that now. uh i actually very very recently i was talking to someone i'm 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 writing with about the about the narrative device of like discovering a world through a character that knows nothing about it. And that really is what helps you from having like info dumps. And I really enjoy also the the way that they work the flashbacks in because they work them in, in a way that made it into a mystery where you want to know, like they don't give you all the information. And that's what gets you waiting for the next episode, essentially.
0: Uh, this Absolutely. is a great question and, and a good segue from there. What is the Mayfair Witches saying by associating witchcraft with femininity? First and foremost, I, for all of my years growing up, I did I thought you couldn't have a male witch. I thought if, if it was a witch that was a boy or a man, that had to be that was a wizard or a sorcerer or something, right? The, a witch was specifically a, a female uh, wow. title. Or warlock, There you go warlock. I mean they even made a they made a movie, what, in the late eighties or early nineties or did They made a couple of them, I think Warlock three in a row. Anyway, my my understanding was that was specifically a female title, a, a woman's title. And It's interesting as I got a little older and I began to like research the history of the witchcraft trials and all of these things. And you realize, Oh, it was effectively a title for any woman who caused a problem basically for all of history. And occasionally that was a worse thing to do than in other times, but it was never pleasant. And it was almost always used as a pejorative or even as a, um, a, a title that led to punishment, you know, depending upon, again, what era you're in. But I do think this isn't something that Anne Rice does alone in her novels here about the Mayfair family, where the, it's, it's a matriarchal family, the money, the power in the family, all of the control of, of the legacies and all of the um, you know, foundations, etc., goes to the, the daughter, the eldest daughter, um, and there's only effectively one male in the entire history of the family who has any authority, which is Julian. We don't, we haven't seen him so far in the show. I don't know if we're going to, at least in season one. Um, but I don't think that's an Anne Rice-specific thing. I think that's not just the Mayfair witches. I think that's witchcraft in general is sort of of the feminine. So why is that, Ashley? Does it just come down to we've lived in a patriarchal society for... You know, ten thousand years plus, and so we needed a label for uppity women. Like, what's what's the? <laughs>
2: yeah, well, I mean, I think replace "witch" with "bitch," and you get pretty much. Yeah. You know,
4: I'm you, doing that in something I'm writing. You know, Oh, I mean.
2: <laughs> oh that's awesome! That's that's it's so true. I mean, it's it's one of those things, that think, like joel's known me since i was in my early 20s and there's no way my ass would not have gotten burned at back in the day you know it's just like that, that well-behaved women never make history kind of concept and um and it's and it's it's you know any any woman that's a little bit different could be considered a witch or anyone that has a different type of energy i think mean, that's why it's really cool there's something about julian in in, the, in this world is that he is? Um, he is such a, um, a an interesting character. He's kind of got a non-binary quality to him as well, you know. And 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 as a result, you kind of get this, this introduction as as of a different type of witch, which I love that it's included that he's included in the story. Um, but yeah, I do think it's just mainly it's because of that whole long history of it being a pejorative, being you know. A witch is a bitch.
0: A bitch is a witch. As, talk to me a little bit about, you know, the gender fluid nature of witchcraft. And does that, I mean, do you think that that is inherent in um, witchcraft and, and, you know, following uh, Wicca or or, uh, mysticism is the idea of being able to sort of, blend between the two genders and, and live in that space between is that helpful does that add to your magic
4: I think I have my right now I have my girlfriend on zoom who's giving me emotional support doing like huh. this with her head but uh um but uh, actually I was um when it comes to uh, witchcraft as, as something associated with with femininity, um, I've gone back and forth about it a lot because is it associated with because this is interesting because I've heard I've heard people associated with the female bodied and so someone like me who was assigned female at birth who grew up being regarded by society as a woman um, and and then sort of took a step back and tried to decide, okay, where do I fall within this would belong in a space if in, in the space of witchcraft. If you listen to other people, they will tell you that um, witchcraft is exclusive to the uh, feminine and the uh, trans feminine. And so uh, someone like me would not belong there um, because I, st- I took a step away from femininity rather than a, a step towards femininity. And there are very many, like, and at, at the end, there are many interpretations of it. Some of them can get quite gatekeepy. <laughs> um, but I honestly think that when it comes to it, I, I do think that it is for for the marginalized at, at the end of the day. And, and much like we... Um, as a community in the lgbt community we we reclaimed the word queer that that we we reclaimed the word queer that was a slur for a very long time reclaim and, and then and then as we reclaimed it we made it into an umbrella term that ended up including many people that would not have been described by the word queer when it was used as a slur i would not have probably been described by the word by the word queer like 50 years ago i am now the same can go for which we're like When it was a slur, it was directed at women specifically. Uh, Again, what what at the time was perceived as a woman, which we don't know what what they would define themselves as today. Uh, Today, we can use it as an umbrella term that can include many different people who are marginalized in other ways that became relevant later over time.
0: I love
3: that, yes. Every bit of that, every damn bit of that. Love, love it. Yeah, that's a great distinction between, like, you know, what it, what makes a witch? Is it the person calling you one and and the, or is it you sort of declaring that you are one and kind of seizing your yeah. power and sort of, like, tapping into that? And um, can those two things ever, like, exist on the same plane? And, you know, and I think, you know, doing just even just, like, a, a simple, like, little research on witches on englishheritage.org.uk, you go into this thing of like, you know, witches sort of just being defined as dark cosmic forces and like Circe and the Odyssey. And then when, you know, Christianity comes into play, that's when it really starts getting more personified. And it still is more like nature into the earth, but it start the first sort of like personified, witch is this like winter hag who's supposed to like represent like your sort of crops, good fortune right. or- over the winter um and then you know as a massachusetts girly I, I grew up learning all about the salem witch trials and that you know what's so funny about there is that it's defined as this like mass hysteria where everyone is all these men are, are uh, roping all these women up and, and t- burning them at the stake and you know we all know where hyster the word hysteria comes from so um it is just interesting sort of like the labeling is what makes a witch a witch, but then there is still this thing we call witchcraft and mysticism that is still so um, rich to explore. Uh, I, I think that's I one of the
2: reasons why- right on, we, we as We as young women are kind of all drawn to it. Like there's a big joke in the big internet joke about like uh, women in their twenties all go through their witch phase. but I think that that's one of the reasons why we're so drawn to it is because it's it is empowering it is taking back taking back something that can be used against you and 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 turning it on its head and it is it is it is an opportunity to explore yourself and your and your ambition ambition and your desires and your and your need for connection um, in a different way, and and I think that especially for someone like me who is not at all connected to organized religion, um, like a, a Wiccan spirit really appeals to me. You know that that whole that whole concept is really appealing to me, and I think that that's one of the reasons why why it does become why it is sort of a femme ideal. But I'll be damned if anyone's gatekeeping being a witch, bitch. We ain't doing. Well, I
0: mean- <laughs> So, so there, I do think there is. I do think there is inherently the, the the issue of like the, um, the mystery of menstruation, right, for the male populace. And so, anyone who menstruates is immediately put into this box of like, oh, they do this this insane thing, which doesn't make any sense to us, and we don't know where it comes from or what it's for, or or well, down they down can the river, just get pregnant anytime. time. Yes, exactly, right? And especially if you go into, not even, you don't have to go to like Stone Age Man. Again, go just two or 300 years into the past and you, you can sort of begin to understand, I mean, you guys didn't give it much thought, but I understand why this was so troubling to you, right? So there's this cloud that forms inherently just from nature by the separation of the genders in this way that, that these people have this issue every month and these people can bring forth life and these people can't, right? And the fact that women can take that, um, you know, mystery or, you know, n- n- disgusting idea in the mind of a man and instead turn it into and really focus on the creative power of it, right? You're, you're gods among the rest of us little peons in that uh, we can't create anybody. You can. In fact, in the modern time, you can do it without us. So... That inherently makes the the femininity the femininity excuse me um, a, a witchy thing, and I think that's where a lot of this comes from: the mistrust of women, the you know the the structural issues in society to keep you out of power. I think it's about I think it's about we're scared. We're scared if you ever got power, we we wouldn't never get it back.
3: Right. It's also just a way of like like the word femininity. It's like a re- it's a reductive, you know, a reductive word to describe something that is not so simple. Yes.
4: I, I I agree with that it's because okay. as someone who does not, as someone who does not relate with with, with femininity as as a, as a concept, at least the way it's it's portrayed in society today, um, I. I'm and on the other hand very. I'm very interested in the future and in, in in having children. So that you know, like the two things don't necessarily need to go together. But um, back onto uh, what Joel was saying earlier, um, I've talked to uh, uh, let's say an, an important male figure in my life uh, who's told me very clearly, like I put so much effort into my work and my career. Because I cannot create life the way that, that women can create, and this is always going to be something that I consider as like my being lacking in, like something that I consider like I need to make up for to justify my place in the world.
0: Absolutely. And listen, like I am a father. I mean I have I have I've have had my part in creation of four little lives. They're all awesome human beings, but there is an inherently a disconnect between me and them versus each one of them and their mother, and that's not because I'm not a good dad or I'm not involved on a day to day basis. I mean, I work from home. I'm here all the time. They see me as yeah. much as they see mom, and I'm and I'm involved. I'm, they I'm stick at and, you and, don't. You know, I, I, yeah, the whole nine yards. But they but they didn't come from me, right? And and that is just it's a barrier that that is inherently um, humbling in some ways, and I think most a lot of men. Particularly men who have like uh, machismo, um, negative masculinity aspects to their personality. I think that very, very much comes from an inferiority complex. We cannot leave a legacy in the same way. That a woman can, Um, Ashley. Let's move to the next slide here. We're going to derail this slightly into a discussion of uh, gender gender politics in a way that I didn't think we meant to. Um, Should witchcraft be gendered? Let's vote on that, everybody. Um, You can vote yes or no, and in just a couple of minutes, Ashley will tick the little timer down, and that'll lock in everybody's vote. We'll move on to the next thing. But I I think As made the best possible uh, argument for this. It's not. It shouldn't be gendered, and it shouldn't be uh, marked off. You know, access to these higher cosmic energies is for everybody. Just just like expression of your own self is for everybody. And as if you express yourself in a way that has traditionally been locked down for, for men or, or masculine figures, that's no more fair to you than it is to me. And I say this all the time, it is a freaking shame makeup isn't an option for me like i'm fairly butch i I have i am i am i am bisexual i discovered in the past year for myself this is a newfound thing for me in my 40s here but even so i'm fairly i'm fairly butch and masculine presenting and yet i think boy it'd be cool if i could just like wear nail polish when i wanted to or a little mascara from time to time i don't know that i would want to do that i don't know how to do it so i wouldn't look good if i put it on now But it's a shame in our situation, in our society, that that is not open to everybody. And so I say, for my kids' generation, it shouldn't be.
4: It's it's, it's getting to be. It's getting to be, actually. Uh, I was, um, the reason why for a very long time I struggled to uh, call myself non-binary, and I don't want to derail the conversation too much, but it was because I was was concerned. I was like, well, but am I, am I, am I just like, I, I strongly believe that you can be a man and a masculine man and still do things that are not like... Gender conforming or a, a woman, and, and, and fully consider yourself a woman and be masculine without that affecting actually your gender identity or whether you're non binary or not. So, I actually like that there's a lot of um, overlap right now when it comes to gender expression. It's something that I'm really enjoying and, 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 and finding.
0: Well, and there are definitely characters it's, in this story to get it back slightly on track. Go ahead, Ashley. I'm sorry.
2: Right. But I know I just want to say that um Joel and I owe people our age because we're we're a little older <laughs> elder millennial <laughs> like cus gen Gen X and it's what 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 they what younger millennials and Gen Z have done for us is to make us even more comfortable with our expression of gender and it's a beautiful cool thing that i'm seeing amongst my friends that are my age they feel like joel said you feel more comfortable in expressing yourself in a way that maybe you didn't you didn't feel comfortable 10 years ago you know and thank god for younger people because they keep us growing and learning and they keep us aware of of what what we can be you know we get we get to where we forget what we're what the possibilities in the world are, and I think that that's something so grateful. If you don't have younger people than you in your life, you're missing the fucking boat, big time.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Everybody should have some. Everyone should have some some younger folks in their life to sort of uh, help spur you along. Remind you every now and then you ought to be uncomfortable about somebody else's in your close circles life choices. You should be like, really, you're going to do that. It's, it, keeps you, it keeps you honest, honestly. Um, Ashley, let's move to the next uh, tab here. But I just wanted to mention, I don't think we're going to see a lot of it this season. But to tie this back to the Mayfair specifically, um, the, the gender fluidity issue, we do have those characters in these books. And I think, especially in a season two, when we meet Julian, which surely they're not going to write him out of the story. When we meet Julian, especially Mary Beth also, both those characters go and drag commonly in their adventures that we see in the storyline. You know, they don't have the, the words in their time period. I think Julian is like the late 1800s to the early 1900s and Mary Beth about the same period. They don't have the language to describe themselves as gender fluid or, you know, non-binary or maybe even gay or, or queer,
4: but- That's a big one. Julian,
0: right, but Julian has multiple same-sex relationships as well as- Right. Um, uh, uh, heterosexual relationships and again dresses as a woman on occasion Mary Beth dresses as a man quite a lot and goes about in new orleans society so i think we can get to that um eventually in this show all right let's get back on track here a little bit let's talk about the history of witchcraft um and this is one as that i really want to dig into with you um because the the history of witchcraft is obviously clearly associated with femininity. But I wanted to circle back a little bit to the Jewish connection for you and the Jewish mysticism um, that is, you know, an area of expertise for you. I didn't have that understanding as a kid that religion could coexist with mysticism and, and magic, as it were. Um, so talk a little bit about your entry to that and how you understood that, how you first began to dive into that world.
4: Well, it doesn't. It does, and it doesn't coexist because it very much depends on what you mean uh, by um, what you mean by um, coexisting. Uh, it's very often different factions of the same, like in a niche in the community, and it's very often frowned upon by the community at large. Um, it's really hard without getting in the of Jewish text, but. Um, Basically, uh, if you look at uh, Jewish texts as like multiple volumes that happened over history, and you look at like the, the volumes that m- the books that, m- that more than others um, frown upon, um, sort what they what they call sorcery, that would be focused in the Talmud. Now, the Talmud have has a strong Christian uh, influence. Um, the Talmud. Uh, <laughs> The Talmud has been defined by many people that I greatly respect as Jewish fan fiction, as Bible fan fiction. So, uh, it's, whether it's canon or not is debatable. Canon. <laughs> oh yeah, it's they've been they've been described as 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 uh, as a Bible fan fiction. Um, and there is a lot of stuff there about about sorcery that uh, absolutely does not fall in line with what i was talking about earlier which is everything is of god there is this distinction between good and bad um but when you go uh, about religion when you go about jewish religion i consider mysticism everything that has so when you think of the kabbalah which by the way uh happens like after the talmud not only that but um when you look at the Kabbalah, technically, originally, you could not teach or even read the Kabbalah until you were like 40 and already well-versed in everything that came in Judaism before that. So um, very much gate kept, not, not the case anymore, but very, very closed off to people. Um, and you had to be like a Jewish scholar, basically, to even have access to that. Uh, but when you go, what, what Kabbalah means, what the word means is tradition. So when you look at Jewish mysticism you look into Jewish tradition and you look and you look at um, at the tra- like you you look at the rituals you look at the ritualistic aspects of of the religion and you realize that the reason they're there is because it's a lot easier to teach good things to a population through a ritual than it is through Quantifying how much good that thing will bring to them. Um, so when you when you look into, for example, the Ten Commandments and all of the laws about what Jews can and cannot eat, um, it all falls in line with a, with nomadic nomadic people that did not have refrigeration and did not have uh, and did not have like basic hy- basic hygiene in many cases. Um, the reason why you can't eat shellfish as a Jew is not because of some. M- m- higher power getting angry at you for e- eating shellfish but because at, at a time with no refrigeration eating shellfish was the health hazard and the way that jewish tradition ritualized that made it pass on is this if you do x y and z this results in a positive outcome i am not going to be able to quantify how or why but it works and you should continue doing it. And I believe that everything that is magic called ritual today is in a way something that we understand as a community. It works, which is the know how to explain or quantify how or why. If you look also at other like branches of Judaism, yeah, another example. My 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 girlfriend here is miming the washing hands. Jews need to wash hands before eating meals. <laughs> and at the time, people couldn't really quantify how like how much good it would do to you or why it would do good to you. They just observed that if you do do X, then Y is the result. And I really do think that when it comes to that when it comes to um a lot of magical practice today is 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 really, th- like, especially I'm seeing a lot on the internet things that resonate to young generations, which are usually rituals that have a lot to do with self-care and giving yourself a break and slowing down. We find this in, in Judaism. Judaism is the first religion that institutionalized having a day off. The Sabbath, <laughs> yes, that's what
1: I was
0: going to say. So like the Sabbath, this, the Sabbath was, I thought I, I was hoping you were going to get there uh, as the, the Sabbath is, Something so okay when I was like six, seven years old, barely understanding any concepts of you know good or evil or morality or like these concepts of eternity that I was trying mm-hmm. to be expected to understand and everything. This was one of my first questions for, for my father, is like, well what, what is the Sabbath? You guys keep talking about this one of the Ten Commandments, you gotta keep the Sabbath and you know, keep it yeah. holy, et cetera, et cetera. He's like, God understood we needed a day off. Things it was hard. You gotta be out there tilling the land and, and, and earning your food literally every day we have to set aside a day and if left to our own devices we won't and i thought at the time i thought well that's silly you go to your job and you take everybody takes saturday and sunday off first of all yeah that not everybody no. has a job like that right i mean i run my own business and i find myself now it's something i talk to my kids all the time i'm like i don't want to work every day it's a bad practice and yet i don't really know how to do how to not do that exactly? Yeah, got to figure out this schedule better. And and you think of these people, a nomadic people, six thousand, eight thousand years ago, whatever. And you're like, how does a higher power, or even just a very wise person that's over the tribe, how do you explain to these people? You got to take a day off every now and again. You Another need
4: to like right. You know, you go you, you you go to Israel, and what you see is that you are as a company. If you're open on Saturday, you get fined. You have to pay higher taxes. I love that. Seriously? That's amazing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. You are, uh, public transit does not work. And what works instead are a non-Jewish um, private, they're, they're sort of um vans that like act as taxis on weekends. And for 24 hours, that's the only public transportation that there is. And if you are a company, so for example, we have a lot uh, like, we, as if I, I haven't lived there in forever but uh, they have a line of supermarkets that is open on Saturdays uh, and they have higher prices because they have to pay a fine to being open for being open on Saturdays
0: and you have to find a bunch of people that aren't practicing, wow. et cetera, et cetera, to work. You know, it's yeah, exactly, thing. exactly.
4: Another thing, another element of, of mainstream Jewish religion, very mainstream Jewish religion, that can I can very easily compare to element of mysticism, cross-cultural element of, of mysticism, in fact, is sacrifice. So our highest of the highest holidays is the Yom Kippur, which is a day where you sacrifice you don't eat you don't drink um and uh and it's a it's a it's a moment of self-reflection and there's this understanding that you get something for sacrificing. and the 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 higher the value of what it is that you sacrifice the, the more you can gain from it and as someone who's kept it for many years the kind of of almost delirious introspection and like train of thought that can happen when you haven't eaten in 24 hours or drank water in 24 hours is intense but like it's something that i don't regret doing but always coming back to the fact of like at the end all of these rituals need to come to something positive another element of judaism is that you cannot do this against your own health so, as important as it is to keep Yom Kippur, if you're pregnant, you can't do it. If you're sick, you can't do it. If you're over a certain age, you can't do it. If you're under a certain age, you can't do it. And, That's and yeah, and I see a lot. And, and this again, yeah. this is like the the the, the, mo- the most structured and 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 um, against sorcery. As like part of the Jewish tradition, still accept accepted. <laughs> Sacrifice is an important element of religion. That ritual is 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 a, a huge element of religion. It is
0: not to compare huge or, or belittle religion compare. by aligning it with with pop culture. But you know, there's the line in the very first Thor movie from the MCU where <sighs> mm-hmm. Thor is talking to Jane Foster and he says, "Any science sufficiently advanced is going to seem like magic to you, right?" And yeah. it's the same thing with it, we think about UFOs or or you know alien civilizations. If if we were to interact with a society or a civilization that was significantly advanced enough, it would just seem like magic to us. So for me, the idea of, of witchcraft or witches, or mysticism in general you very much can just chalk it up to if you're not a supernatural person, you could say, maybe they got the code of the universe, right? Like, yeah. maybe, maybe they're hacking a little bit and, yeah. and you can hack too. If you know, the rules,
3: it's just magic. Oh, yeah. like women are so sophisticated and mysterious. Like they must be witches. <laughs> you know, it's like a creation oh, myth. My She must be a witch. Yeah, it's like we have to come up with, um, you know, a simple explanation for this miracle. Thank you, Jess. Thank you, Jess. (laughs) For the ladies. Maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe it's witchcraft.
4: (laughs) Oh, another, always making a parallel with fiction. um, Someone I know was telling me today that they play an RPG game where... Uh, there's this entire race of people who are going through a uh, um, technological dark age, and they have these uh, religious figures in their society that all they have is that they have manuals to technology, and so they become priests because they have access to the scriptures, and thanks to these scriptures, they can do things. And so that is so that is very interesting, and like it's all a matter of like where are you and what, like what do you need to achieve, and who can make it happen for you. Well, I mean,
0: for so yeah. much of European history, there. Yeah. yeah, for so much of European history, um, you know, the ability to read was held behind the clergy. You know, unless you were mm-hmm. a high level merchant or a, or an elite or a, oh, yeah. a clergy, you didn't get to learn how to read, and nobody had a Bible, you know, until Gutenberg, effectively, and that's when. Well, Jesus, the there are still countries where women
2: are allowed to read now. Exactly oh yeah! Imagine my right shock
4: imagine my shock when i had only read the ten commandments in italian in the context of italian catholic catholic schools and then i finally learned how to read hebrew and i read the ten commandments and i realized that there's no such thing as thought th- th- as sinful thought uh,
3: what religion and translation is a, is a whole other <laughs> yeah <topic. laughs>
0: Oh let's tie this back a we little can bit. We could do a to, whole
3: 10 hour chat
2: right. on that. Yeah, yeah
0: absolutely. <laughs> let's tie this back a little bit to the Mayfairs here because I do think this mm-hmm. TV series adaptation especially yes. is very much going to delve into the questions of power and morality. Carlotta, the older aunt here who, you know, gives, Deidre, uh, or gives Deidre's baby away at the end, gives Rowan away, um, clearly is against Lasher and the powers that this family manifests. And yet, if you read the books, you know, Carlotta's got power of her own. I think there are two things that are at play mm-hmm. in the Mayfair family here there's the power that these women hold or this family holds, um, the ability to manipulate the universe, as it were, in whatever way that, that is. And then there's their connection to Lasher. Lasher has malevolent, uh, evil intentions. And I think that's pretty clear even in this first episode of the of the show. And it's definitely clear early on in the books. These women, the power that they hold is not inherently evil. And in fact, even the Mayfair's, even with the influence no. of Lasher over the years, have done lots of good things with it. And I think that exploration, um, the, the question of using power, even mystic power, for good ends is going to very much play into Rowan's journey, specifically in this story. Um, are there any good po- uh, other examples of pop culture um, challenging this cliche of of only uh, witch- witchcraft only being for women or witchcraft only being for evil?
4: Uh, people in, in the chat are Jedi. Someone brought up
0: Jedi specifically... in the chat, which is a Go ahead, Dr- Ashley.
2: Doctor Strange? Doctor Strange? Jeffries up. No, no.
0: I we were. I was clearing the lane for you. You talk a little bit about the Jedi. Oh, thank you, thank you. A, no, a, a I was male just saying dominated, um... <laughs> a male-dominated hierarchy there.
2: Right. Like, if you want to look at a male-dominated kind of kind of aspect of that, the Jedi are a great example. It's a lot of mystical power, a lot of, a lot of focusing sh- focusing your energy on certain things in certain ways. Like, that's a really good example of. I mean not that we need to come up with examples of pop culture like celebrating men but it is important to talk about (laughs) different ways of expressing witchcraft and expressing you know like especially i mean i think we always think about our trans and non-binary family when we're looking at that you know we want to make sure there needs there needs to be good examples of that more so than men i think more so than masculine uh, definitely masculine embracing characters, but
0: that's just. The I thing. also wanted- to us about the, I was just going to say, talk to us about the representation of, of, across gender in Arcana. Arcana is not a IP that um, Ashley and I know nearly as well as you do, obviously. So, talk to us a little bit about that.
4: Ah, uh, let me open the floodgate. <laughs>
2: You um, look so happy. So, Your face is so bright and delighted right now.
4: Neurodivergent <laughs> person talking about their hyperfixation. <laughs> you got that. That's the face. Um, no, actually, it. I was having a really interesting conversation about this with Eliza, who's in chat right now, right before I got on the stream. So I'm still like very pumped from it. But um, so we were talking uh, about. Oh yeah, and someone else mentions Owl House as an inclusive way mm. of of portraying uh, magic, and I one thousand percent agree with that. I started watching Owl House thinking it was just gonna be something I was gonna like watch in the in the in the background while I did art, and then I got really invested in it. <laughs> but um, but about the Arcana, the interesting thing about it is that actually in in that um, world, the only times that you actually hear the word witch um it's used in a contemptuous way it's used in a in a almost derogatory way um uh and if not specifically to to upset the to at least annoy the characters um but the actual term that is being used is a gender neutral term which is magician and it ties a lot to the card of the magician in the tarot which is connected to resourcefulness so that for me is incredibly interesting because resourcefulness is another element of magic that is very inclusive a lot more inclusive than, than feminine power and is is completely agender when it comes to like who can see themselves in it um and so, uh, the one of the main characters, the, uh, uh, Azra, who is um, connected to the card of the magician, is the perfect representation of magic as resor- as resourcefulness. Uh, but uh, other characters, like uh, the the main character, is is connected with the with the term magician. Uh, and the interesting thing about having uh, a practicing magician as a main character who uh, is a possible self insert it was a completely blank character that anyone can see themselves in is endless options of representation like 3 years in the community i've seen people insert all sorts of culture into into the the main character and all sorts of of exper- like expressions of magic and and and, and cultural influences, and even like time specific influences uh, to the main character. And it's incredibly, I think, interesting to, uh, you know, uh, I'm on the older side of the fandom. Uh, in my 30s, a lot of people in the, the Arcana fandom are very young. And I think that it is wonderful for them to be able to enter a world that is already diverse because the different characters uh, are heavily inspired by different cultures. And then because it's set in a port city, uh, in, a por- in a city state, which is like a coastal city, is very heavily inspired by, by what Venice used to be. You have endless, Endless potential for cultural contamination in that context, and you see young people who really bring not only their own, but even feel comfortable experimenting with other cultures, with other influences that maybe wouldn't have been comfortable experimenting with as themselves, as their own person in a in a nonfictional context. And and it really gives way to so much creativity. Um, for example, I am I am writing um, an arcana series right now, and I am uh inserting a lot of my uh personal passions when it comes to the paranormal which are um uh altered state of consciousness and 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 specifically hypnosis uh which like is nowhere in canon but i see those themes in canon i recognize some of some hinting and i decide to take that and run with it uh someone else can see something entirely different uh, and they can choose to take that and run with it, or they, they can decide to bring something entirely of their own to it. So, uh, you know, it's it's endless possibilities, really. And and when it comes to um, shows like Mayfair, would like I, I don't mind shows that even, like, uh, ignoring for a fact the fact that, like, we know that there are, like, more gender-fluid characters to the cast, but even just watching the first episode, I don't mind... Uh, media that centers femininity when it comes to witchcraft because for me that is just a prompt to create an alternate version or create my own story and i the beautiful thing about about media is that it's endless and it has endless possibilities so when 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 one kind of representation is is out there i don't see it as depriving me from an opportunity to create more or to be able to inspire other creators to, to 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 create more or explore the issue in a different way it just It's just more media, what, what's, what's bad about it?
0: I, that's what's so true. That? Your yeah. You're there, there's, a, amazing. there's a great line. <laughs> She's great. Isn't she great, Ashley? There's a great line, though, I, that I wanted to bring in here from are- Mancar, the end of the end of the first season. Uh, there's a line from um, uh, Eric Bogosian's character, Daniel Malloy, where he's talking to Louis, and he says, once it's out there, they make of it what they will right the, yeah. once, once a story is in the world, um, the author has very little control over where the world takes that story. Our chat has been mentioning JK Rowling and some of her incredibly terrible ideas that she has been forcing upon us <laughs> not only obviously the transphobe stuff, but as somebody brought up, she's got fat phobia in her books, a lot of racism, you know classism, et cetera et cetera. those, those mm-hmm. books are full of it. Here's what's happened though. the Harry Potter fandom that grew up with those books and that world and those characters took that world and the core ideas that JK was espousing which are karma you know do unto others and yeah. you have them do unto you acceptance and friendship and love that's what that's the story she was telling in spite of herself honestly and the, the audience has took has taken that world and those ideas and they've run with it and they've built a universe honestly in our minds and in our own fan fiction and in our own conversations, and the, the things that we've created as a as a generation, because of what we were inspired by those books, yeah. all of that stuff is better than what JK came up with. So I, don't, I yeah. don't hate on her universe anymore. I don't have to hate Harry Potter, but that's a perfect example of the the universe existing outside the author's control. Yes, and,
4: yeah. uh, and actually- pie, Fry Pies and Moonshine, oops, oh, sorry.
2: I was saying Fry Pies and Moonshine said HP belongs to the world now. And that's one of those mm, things. Yep. Yeah. Like you don't. And that's one of the beautiful things like about fan fiction too. And I think that the Harry Potter yeah. community in particular has been like, look, bitch, no, this ain't
4: yours. This is ours. <laughs> and if, if really anyone. Yeah, no. If anyone has read Lovecraft, I mean, <laughs> the, the amount of, of anti-Semitism in that, and and then still, like, and and then still like the concept in it. And to be honest, like, in, in fact, I since like high school, I reread it. Uh, lo- uh, I reread it last summer again, and I was with a friend, and we were looking at it, and we were like, "This is not only is this anti-Semitic, this is poorly written, and yet the concepts in it inspired." Wow so Much more, and, and, and actually, some very inclusive media. And like you have a, a lot of of influence in Neil Gaiman, and, and look at what Neil Gaiman has done with fiction.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, no, it's not enough. There, we need to have more representation, is the answer. I'll go ahead and answer that for you. Everybody, answer it, and Ashley will click our timer <laughs> yeah. down
2: here. In a uh, we just got we a, have... a little time check from the crew.
0: Yeah, this conversation
2: are... has been amazing,
0: <laughs> however. We want to get to a tarot reading, right? Are we going to do this? Do oh. you have time? Are you, do you have a hard after? I think we do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Excellent. All right. I well, think we do. Reading, we definitely then, do. It's going to be a lot of fun.
4: I think well, I'm going to try to balance here. everything on my knees because I have a very small desk <laughs> yeah. and I have my laptop and everything in
0: here. Uh, Dra- Dracon says uh, to... spiritually I don't want to touch something that can benefit a horrible person directly friend I hear you there I we just went to Universal Studios in the fall totally get that. and we did Harry Potter world obviously and and this was one of the th- my wife and I talked about it I'm like I mean I don't know like she gets some amount of the money that we spend here like wh- do we want to do that the fact of the matter is we love those characters so much and our kids especially wanted to engage in those rides and those experiences and again, the universe is for them. It's not for her anymore. And if she gets a few pennies on Yay. the back end, I'm just going to have to eat that. But you're right. It's so much better to support Yay. folks like the Owl House creators or, um, uh, oh, what's the series that my daughter loves so much on Netflix? Um, Centaur World. I don't know if you guys have seen that. That is a show that is full of LGBTQIA representation. Just very, very cool stuff there. All right. Uh, let's keep going all the way through to the uh, tarot setup here, Ashley. Just click through for us, and uh, we'll get to. It. Thanks I'm everybody to... for spending time with us.
4: Okay, now you got it. All right. Well, I got. I came prepared.
3: Yeah, I'm gonna let oh, awesome. I'm gonna let Oz take the lead on this because of time, and, and I'm, I have a feeling that he's probably more um, involved. I'm I'm sort of like a party trick tarot card reader, so I want to see <laughs> I want to see the expert. All right, That's kind of where I'm at too,
2: Liz. Like I haven't done it regularly in in probably ten years, so yeah. I'm not as good yeah. as I used to be. But I mean, I've I've slept I with my tarot cards
3: under my pillow. Oh, maybe yeah, I- <laughs> I've got my deck here. I took a course in it, but you know, it was mostly for storytelling. So, um, I want, I would love oh Liz you might
4: have actually you might actually have a a similar background to mine I do a lot of Tara for storytelling and also a lot of Tara for like self-reflection that's that's my that's what I like to do the most actually it's it's great you know what it's great in it's great in relationships yeah it's great in relationships because it's like I use it in my relationship a lot um as a as a conversation prompt when it comes to like Tackling issues because it's very interesting to see what you see in the cards more so than what the cards are telling you. Like, what are you fishing for? What are you looking for in the cards? And that can sometimes bring out things that you wouldn't otherwise really even know were on your mind. Um,
0: I have a question. Just out
4: of um, somebody pick left or right. <laughs> oh, wait, we're uh, doing, Joel, you do c- it. Cutting the deck. Uh, let's go left. Okay. um i'm doing a three card just to keep it quite simple past present and future so where are we all coming from i'm doing this oh by the way i'm doing this with a specific person who's in chat in mind but everyone feel free to (laughs) to see themselves i just need to focus on one person in order to to do this to begin with so we have as past the lovers and we all know the lovers, but um, it's funny because when I first started doing tarot, I was—I um, always tried to get a very romantic read of the lovers every time, um, and and sometimes I was misguided in that. And because the interesting thing about uh, the lovers is that it, it has to do with with union, with collaboration. But it also has to do with duality, with the two sides of the same coin coming together and working together. Um, and so, to this person, I want to say that in their past, uh, they learned how to work together. And if anyone else in chat has recently learned how to cooperate, it's never, it really is, is, is never too late to learn that. And it's one of the most valuable le- lessons we can learn in life. Um, for our present, we have the Hermit. Lots of major are kind of coming out to play today. <laughs> um, and in the Hermit, at least in this context, I like to learn introspection because it comes right after the Lovers, and um, not not necessarily loneliness. There's a there's a, a a poet that I'm very fond of, a Lebanese a poet, Gibran, who wrote a beautiful book where when he talks about partnership and marriage, he talks about partnership and marriage should be like the columns of a temple who stand together, but apart from each other. And so Mm -hmm. once you learn how to cooperate, the present would be to learn how to still be independent and interest well, be introspective. Um, And our third card, um, is the King of Swords. And the King of Swords represent action and ambition. And so I think that this falls in very nicely with what we've had so far. We've had... Oh, really, Eliza? That's your favorite minor arcana. Oh, my gosh. I would really love to see your interpretation of it in this context. But I guess at this point, I'm following this nice road of growth and learning and <laughs> from learning how to stand together to learning how to introspect comes action and the power of an idea, the power of setting an idea in motion.
1: Hmm.
4: And that is my past, present, and future for you today. That's a
0: great, I, 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 love,
2: I love
4: it. I, love I the needed it.
2: It might relate it's- to me directly.
0: You're right. I was just thinking I, I'm, I edit podcasts for a living. That's what I do. And I edited a podcast today where someone was talking about like building a partnership and you have a tendency to grow together. The problem there is if, if you grow together, yes. you are often leaning on one another in, in a way that you will fall. The whole thing falls. Whereas yes. if you grow alongside of each other in times of weakness when you need one another, the other one is there and strong. You know, and you can go back and forth on who is, you know, providing that stability in any given moment. But you have to provide your own foundation and, and existence, you know, your own personality in a marriage. Ashley, you and yes. you know, been at this for quite a while, you longer than me. But in in our relationships, if all we are is the partner of the other, not only do you lose yourself, you lose your partner because that's yes. not the money anybody wants to spend time with.
4: Yes.
2: Yeah, and that's, um, that's a beautiful thing about having a having a good giving partner who is a true partner in the sense of that word, and not just a a boyfriend, girlfriend, non-binary pal, whatever. You know, you're, it it is. Uh, it, it, it is a, a like a partnership is really what's important, whether it's a marriage or not, like it's in your long-term relationships and learning how to communicate and and grow together. And, you know, my husband and I have been together almost 20 years and we stayed up until 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. the other morning playing a, a silly game <laughs> and just laughing at each other and having the most fun, you know, and I think that that's, that to me is like such a gift. And the only thing that I could give to other people is like, have fun with your partner my god there's so
4: much stress I, and, and hardness out there i agree and when it comes to um a partnership and individuality i guess i can i can bring my two cents as someone who is uh, non-monogamous and i have i've been with my i'm married i've been with my husband for nine years and i have a girlfriend of now over two years and the three of us have actually despite the fact that like they, they they're not connected to each other the three of us have actually collaborated on creative projects and we've been like so incredibly successful in it because we are very <laughs> very communicative and we are very and we are very uh structured and very rooted in who we are and what we are to each other
1: mm,
0: liz
4: Hell
1: yes.
0: liz oh so perfectly said you got to say that out loud
3: I, this is I have confess. It's from a book called How to Choose Your Partner that my stepmom gave me after my divorce, <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> Something worked. I have a lovely partner right now, but it's a. Uh, it, it was just one of those phrases that like ha- yes. You know, like distilled everything for me, but that love is not two people gazing at one another, but you know, standing side by side staring in the same direction. So you have this common goal and can can be working together and that's never questioned, and there's room for improvisation um in between. So to say, uh
0: Liz <laughs> uh Liz I'm we do uh, gotta wrap it up. Oh I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh,
4: Oh yeah! No, I was just gonna say tell Liz because this reminded me of what she said that the book that I was mentioning before, uh, uh, the 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 bit about marriage said something very similar about it's like the the strings of an instrument that are playing the same music but are never entangled with each other. Yeah.
0: Mm, Yes, yes, they they vibrate in sync,
4: right?
0: They vibrate in harmony. (laughs) Listen, and I just want to say
4: thank you so much, Eliza.
0: That is this whole thing, all, all that that was, was just said. It's not just about romantic love either, right? That can be any creative yes. partnership, a business partnership. When you connect as two human beings and you can work alongside each other, not codependently, but but independently together, That's that's really powerful. And I think that's what we're going to see in this show. I think we're going to see a lot of women coming together, not in a romantic sense, but for a united purpose. Whether that purpose will be bent towards their own ends or lashers, we'll have to see. Um, But thank you everybody for joining us so much quickly. I want to say you can see more of me and Ashley, you can hear more of of Ashley and I articulate Coven where everywhere you listen to podcasts and uh, we're, Uh, and on our Facebook group, and uh, we've got a Discord community as well. You can find us there. Uh, Liz, you're here at Dorian, I'm assuming. Where else can people find you online? That's
3: correct. Um, You can find me on Instagram at at LizTingue, T-I-N-G-U-E, or E-Tingue actually, gosh, sorry, and the Twitter at LizTingue, and I'm Liz at Dorian.live if anyone would like to get in touch um, on Dorian. You can also follow all of us through the little feature. If you tap the blue button on the top of the screen, you can follow each of us here on Dorian.
0: That's right. As, where can folks find you?
4: Uh, so on Dorian, I am Route, and I am Route as well on Instagram for my art, Well, for my personal Instagram, I am Asra bounding
0: Excellent, excellent. Uh, Ashley, tell everybody where they can find you other than the podcast.
4: I am
2: pretty much Ashley Wright-Eiler at all of the things, so... I, um, I H L E R is the EILER portion from my lovely Norwegian husband, uh, Norwegian, Norwegian heritage husband. Um, so yeah, you can find me on there, um, on, on Facebook, on, um, Instagram. I'd love to chat also like, I'm really hoping to be more active on Dorian to be honest. I am, uh, I'm really interested in, in what you guys are bringing to the table. And I mean, I'm, I'm so smitten with as right now. I really think Joel and I need to have as on our podcast.
0: Oh, I think we, Hey, in particular, I think there are a few of Anne Rice's books that the Jewish mysticism could very much inform uh, discussions of if nothing Uh, else. we will we will be circling back on that. Thanks so much to everybody who hung out and listened. And by the way, if you came in, I, I know noticed a couple of people mentioned. Oh, I hate that I missed the first of this. If you came in late, I am I've got the audio of this saved. It's going to go out on our podcast. So follow Articulate Coven everywhere you listen to podcasts, and you'll be able to listen to it there. Thanks everybody for joining us, and we're going to do another one of these for the finale party of, uh, of the Mayfairs right after the finale premieres. So you got about eight weeks before you'll see us again here, uh, in an official capacity, but thanks again, everybody. And, uh, have a great night, Ashley, you're going to have to uh, wrap it up for us.
2: End it. Let's see yeah. if I can figure out how to do it. Stay tuned <laughs> for that. Bye y'all. Thank Azra Bounding for joining us. Tap the blue button at the top of the screen, which I do not see. Follow are bounding on Dorian to get notified every time he goes live or releases a new episode. We can't wait to play your May for Witches games. Hell yeah!
3: Yes. Templates come out tomorrow. Happy creating! Tomorrow. Yes, mm-hmm. so create for that. Thanks, everyone. Bye! Bye! Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the Articulate Coven. You can join our community on Facebook by following the links in the show notes or searching for Articulate Coven on Facebook. You can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at ArticulateCoven.com and share us with your Anne Rice loving friends.